Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. An old woman in Scotland told this story. She said, I have two Christian daughters. They take turns cleaning my little house. But when my oldest daughter, uh, Jean, comes, the whole time she makes me feel like I'm such a burden. But when my, my daughter Mary comes, she cleans my house, and the whole time I get the feeling she just loves being with me. <laughs> now, here's a question. How do you serve God? Well, okay, I'll serve him, but don't ask me to like it. Or do you serve God just because you love him? Today we're going to learn, Jesus will say, the greatest commandment is to love God. And we're going to ask the question, how can I do that more? How can I have a deeper love for God? Would you take out your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 12, and let's talk about that today. Let's pray first. Father, we want to pray that you would help us have a deep love for you, and that is what causes us to serve you, Lord. Help us just fulfill the biggest, most important commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart. God, teach us now how to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28. And one of the scribes came and heard them, Jesus and the Sadducees, disputing. Uh, Jesus and the Sadducees were having an argument about whether the dead are raised. Jesus said they are. The, Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees said, no, they're not. So Jesus had to dispute with them. First lesson I want you to get, sometimes disputing is necessary. I have a brother who's a year and a half younger than myself. Growing up, we fought nonstop. Poor mom. And when we were little, we'd say, Mom, what do you want for Christmas? Peace and quiet. And, no, Mom, really, what do you want for Christmas? Peace and quiet. And you know, the older I get, the more I'm becoming like my mom. I don't like conflict. I don't like disputing. I want peace and quiet. But sometimes, Christians, we have to dispute. I'll tell you what I thought of. For many years, I was in the liberal branch of Lutheranism called the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Every year we went to the Synod Convention and a little handful of conservative pastors and I would get to the microphone and dispute. Why are we paying for abortions with offering dollars in the ELCA church health care plan for the pastors? Why is the bishop's office promoting homosexuality? I, I mean, we did this for year after year. I, I hated going to those conventions, and they didn't like me much. So 
about, I don't know, one or two years before I led my church out of the ELCA into a more biblical branch of Lutheranism, I go for one, or, one more convention. And this year I thought, I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to dispute. They know what I believe. And we always lost. So I go to the convention, I think one of my last, I'm just going to be quiet. And for the first evening's message, they brought in a radical Catholic nun to preach on the Syrophoenician woman, uh, who in the Syrophoenicians were pushed to the edges of their society, and Jesus brought them in. And, and the nun says, come to the microphones. Who, who is the church today pushing to the edges that Jesus wants to bring in? Well, it was a grease skid question. And of course the liberal pastors got to the microphone. It's our gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender brothers and sisters that the church is pushing to the edges. I felt as if I was lifted up out of my seat and dragged to the microphone. And I said, no, let me tell you who this denomination is pushing to the edges. Bible-believing Christians who just believe what the Bible says, that's who this denomination is pushing to the edges. My point is, <laughs> whether you like it or not, Christians, we have to lovingly, humbly dispute. When the Mormons come to my door, I'm polite, I listen to their version of the gospel, but then I have to lovingly dispute and say, it ain't Christianity. Let's look at verse 28. They were disputing, and this scribe, recognizing that Jesus answered the Sadducees well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus said, the foremost is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament there, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is what the scribes would say twice a day back then. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So here's the next lesson. Believe in one God. The greatest commandment is that we believe in one God. What I dispute with the Mormons about when they're at the door, again, I listen to them and then I say, can I tell you why I don't think Mormonism is Christianity? Christians believe in one God. Mormons believe in thousands. In fact, Mormons believe you can become a God and get a universe people worshiping you someday. Uh -uh. You, have, you have to believe, to be a believer, you have to believe in one God. I got a phone call a while ago from a Mormon who saw our website where I have my testimony about my struggle with same-sex attraction, but I say no to going that route. And, he, oh, I loved their testimony. It was wonderful. And he starts talking to me. He's going to make a movie about the, the Book of Mormon. And finally, I had to lovingly dispute with him. Mormonism is not Christianity. Christians believe in one God. Mormons believe in thousands. And he started crying on the phone. I, and I did it as lovingly as I could, but you know, uh, Christians believe in one God. <laughs> now look at verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Next, next lesson, the greatest commandment is Love God with your all. Let me ask you, how you doing? Do you love God with your all? There's this hymn we sing, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Jesus, I surrender all. Well, 
Wouldn't it be maybe more honest to sing, I surrender part, I surrender part. I, I'll tell you what, I, I thought about the way I was raised. <laughs> Dad was Catholic, Mom was Lutheran. We were all baptized Catholic and raised Lutheran. I think that was Mom and Dad's uh, pact. We, we never talked about it. But everybody went to church every Sunday. Dad went Catholic, we all went Lutheran. And then we'd come home and pretty much never talk about God. We said, come Lord Jesus, be our guest at the table. And that was it. We love God with part of our heart. But I'm thinking now of a Christian family who raised four kids. I watched them raise these children. When they had prayer at the dinner table, it was a real prayer. Um, then at the end of the meal, dad would get out the Bible. They'd have a Bible story at the end of the meal. And that is what is meant by, by loving God with all your heart. Let's look at verse 31. And the second greatest commandment is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Next lesson, the second commandment, greatest commandment is, love your neighbor as yourself. This is where the rubber hits the road. You know how well you love God by how well you love your neighbor. Let me repeat that. The evidence that you really love God is by loving your neighbor. Now, I don't think that means that if a drunk comes up to you on the street and wants money, that you necessarily give it to him. That could hurt him to give him money. So I don't think it means that, but I think here's what loving your neighbor means. If you know that Christians are being persecuted in the Sudan, and you can write a check to... Um, what's it called, Voice of the Martyrs, send them a check to help the persecuted, you can do that. Or if you hear that a mission group is reading, reaching lost people for Christ in Nepal and India, that, that you do that. Now, I know you can't help every missionary on earth, but you can do something. And if you're not doing anything for the good of your neighbor, do you love your neighbor? Look at verse 32. And the scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that God is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Here's the next lesson. Love for God and neighbor is more important than outward religion. Let me tell you about a man named Luke. Luke goes to church every Sunday. He was raised that way. He sings the hymns, uh, he puts a little money in the plate, and then he goes home. Rest of the week, doesn't think about God, doesn't pray, never cracks a Bible open. But next Sunday he's in church and he's singing the hymns and he's, and he's uh, doing the Apostles' Creed, etc. Rest of the week, doesn't care. Next Sunday he's in church. Do you know what Luke's last name is? Warm. And Jesus said in, in Revelation chapter 3, because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. God doesn't like lukewarm religion. You know, follow this, please. If you have an inward love for God, that will always show itself on the outside. But it is possible to be lukewarm. That is to have the show on the outside that you love God with nothing on the inside. So... Here's what we've learned so far. The greatest commandment is to love God 
with all your heart, and secondly, to love your neighbor as yourself. Last question I want to ask is this. How are you doing? If somebody asks you, do you love God with all your heart, what would you say? I have a friend, dear Christian woman, and periodically she'll say, oh, I love God so much, I just love him with all my heart. And I think one day I finally did say to her, with all your heart? If you love God with all your heart, you wouldn't sin anymore, would you? <laughs> or if you love your neighbor as yourself, wouldn't more of your money, time, and talent go to missions and helping the poor? I, I think the truth is, I want to love God with all my heart. Do I? I remember an old, white-haired Lutheran pastor. I uh, was giving a, a Bible study one night with, with the congregation, and he said, let's take out the hymn and, and let's sing, Oh, How I Love Jesus. 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 Because he first loved me, and he stopped. He said, stop, stop, stop. I want us to change the words. Let's sing this. Oh, how I want to love Jesus. Oh, how I want to love Jesus. Oh, how... And he said, isn't that more honest? And some people got mad at him for doing that. But I, I, his point is good. Now, now uh, here's my closing thought, and this is the big one. This is where the cross comes in. Now, follow this. The main commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor. The problem is, I don't do that very well. I sin against God. I sin against my neighbor. So... The main thing I'm here on earth to do, I blow it. But, but here's where the cross comes in. When I understand that I have sinned against God and my neighbor, but that God loved me so much that Jesus came to earth to pay for all the times that I don't love God and my neighbor, when that sinks in and, and the cross sets in, it makes me want to love God and my neighbor. I don't do it perfectly, but I actually start loving God and loving people because it is based on the cross. So, you know, you know um, I want to show you. I think the, the, the sermon title was, How Can I Love God More? What Will Help Me Love God? I think the cross. If you're having a hard time loving God right now, I, I have crosses in my house. Uh, this is the cross I have at my entryway to my house. And then upstairs, I got this cross hanging on my wall. And then in, in my den, I've got this cross hanging on my wall. Because here's what the cross does. It reminds me that God loves me this much. Because I don't love God like I ought. I don't love my name. But God loves me so much, he went this far to forgive my sins. And so I think the key to loving God more... You meditate upon what Jesus did on the cross. Story goes of a man from the countryside in England going to London to an art museum. On the wall of this art museum is a big painting of Jesus on the cross. And this old man from the country is standing before this huge mural and, and he just kind of forgot where he was. He got absorbed and he says out loud, Oh, bless you, my Savior. I love you, my Savior. He said it out loud. Another man heard him, comes over and takes the old man's hand and said, I love him too, brother. And a woman heard it. She came over and joined them and 
I love him too, my friend. And about a little group of people stood in front of this picture of the cross. And, and what is it that gets me to love God, <laughs> which I don't do very well? When I meditate on God's deep love for me, that helps me do it. And I'll close with this. There's a woman who had a difficult husband. And at the end of every day, he'd make a list of all the things she had to do the next day. Seven o'clock, get up. Eight o'clock, breakfast. Well, mercifully, he died. And she got a new husband, a good husband. She loved this husband. Years into her second marriage, she's upstairs in the attic. She finds the old list from her old husband. <laughs> and she looked at this list, and all the stuff that her old husband used to bark at her to do, she was just doing it naturally, out of love, for her new husband. <laughs> How do you and I love God? I think the way we do that is by admitting, I don't love God very well or my neighbor very well, but I do believe, I know Jesus loves me so much, he died for all those transgressions, that the cross, Christ and his, what he did on the cross, it, this is from 1 John chapter 4, that, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Meditate upon Jesus and what he did on the cross. That helps us love God back. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, are there saints in the history of the church who have loved God with all their hearts. I the, mean, yeah, the word saint, just so people know, it means holy one. All Christians are saints according to the New Testament definition. Catholics might have a little bit of a different or a lot big, bit of a different view on that, but every believer is a saint. Are there super saints who have loved God with all their heart? I think they would tell you, I don't love God with all my heart. I, I we're, because a, a saint Simultaneous et peccator. That's a Latin phrase. Simultaneously saint and sinner. When you are, are brought into the body of Christ and are made a member of His church, from that day on you are a saint, but you're also still a sinner until the second coming or until you die. But I think the greatest saints would tell you, I haven't arrived because they haven't. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it's a confusing thing because you think a saint yeah. is truly somebody special, right. yeah. and you're saying it I'm is saying that. The Catholic definition is that if a saint has done miracles and is canonized by the leadership of the Catholic Church, then they're a saint. The New Testament definition is saint means holy one. Every Christian has been made holy by the blood of Christ. Okay. Yeah. You said that sometimes we need to dispute things, mm -hmm. but aren't we as Christians supposed to avoid quarreling? Yes. And so how do we know when to dispute with people. Yeah. If you read 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. And then when you do correct people, do it gently that God may perhaps grant that they'll escape from the snares of Satan. So, Jackie, Paul the Apostle, if you read the Gospels, excuse me, the Epistles, his letters, 
He's often having to dispute with the false teachers at Corinth or Galatia. Jesus often had to dispute with the Pharisees. So it's not like we, we uh, never do it. But when we do it, we try to do it humbly. And to be quarrelsome, those are the people that are always picking a fight about something that we are not to do. Okay. So if a person doesn't love God as they ought to, are there some practical things that a person can do to help them love God yeah. more? Uh, I mean, I, I think I'm guilty that mm-hmm. I don't always do the practical things. And, and you things. know, Jackie, what's coming to mind? When I was in college is when I got understood the gospel. So I go home to evangelize my family. And I'm sitting in the, in the living room with mom. And I wanted to ask her the questions to make sure she was saved. So I said, Mom, are you sure you go to heaven if you died right now? And she said, I think so. And then I said, Mom, um, what would you say if God said, why should I let you into heaven? And she said, well, because I love God. And I tried to tell her, Mom, that's not the right answer. My love for God does not get me into heaven because it's filled with doubt and sin and it's half-hearted. What gets me into heaven is God's love for me. And I tried to explain to her, your love for God does not earn your way into heaven. It's what Jesus did on the cross that earns our way into heaven. So um, how can I increase my love for God? I think one thing is to acknowledge that my love for God sometimes is sinful and so weak. And what, what helps me love God? Uh, again, what I said in the sermon, when I think about what Jesus did on the cross, that helps me love God. That's why I've got a cross on my wall. <laughs> when I go to church, hear good messages, sing beautiful worship songs, that helps me love God. When I get alone with God and pray with Him, to Him, uh, when I read my Bible by myself, when I'm in a Bible study with other Christians close in fellowship, all those things help me love God. It also, when I, when I have the privilege of serving God in some way, I find something to do to serve the kingdom, that helps me love God. So, so, so Bible study, fellowship, church attendance, prayer, um, worship, the thinking on the cross, those help. You know, my husband and I joined a Bible study fellowship group, and we go for a weekly Bible mm-hmm. study. And I think it's one of the best things that Absolutely. a couple can do together. <laughs> I agree. Or even an individual. Get involved yeah. with that group because you really build good oh, relationships. I feel bad for people who have only gone to church in their life and they've never been part of a close-knit, small group fellowship. Mm-hmm. I feel, I'm feel i not saying they're not Christians, I, but I'm just, like, I remember when my Aunt Dorothy was dying. And we had a beautiful long talk before she died about Christ. And she says to me, Tommy, have you ever had a talk like this? And I've had plenty of talks like this. But here's my Aunt Dorothy who who went to a, a Lutheran church all her life. I believe she's in heaven. But I don't think she ever had the close Christian fellowship. So I want to encourage you. Join a Bible study. I go to church and that's great. But join some small group Bible study and, and just watch your faith deepen. Yeah. So, if a person doesn't love God, does that mean they're not a Christian? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think some people take God out of the equation and think they're Christians, mm-hmm. but they're basically wrapped up with Jesus. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, do I have to love God perfectly to be a Christian? The answer is no, because nobody does. But if you're truly a Christian, you'll have love for God. Again, don't condemn yourself if it's not perfect. but Every Christian loves God by the, because the Holy Spirit is within us. 
But again, I'm not going to brag to people about how much I love God because it's tainted with so much sin, you know. Mm -hmm. so. so which religions are there in this day and age that still believe in many gods? Uh, Hindus worship many gods. Um, Mormons believe in many gods. The spiritist, animist type of religions, voodoo, all that, they would believe in many gods and spirits. So they're still around, those religions. Hmm. Yeah. It, you know, it's hard to think that God <laughs> would allow that yeah. even. It's been going on yeah, for a long, long time. time. <laughs> so which religions believe strictly in one God? Uh, Jews are mon what's mono. Polytheists means many gods. So Hindus, Mormons, or polytheists. Monotheists, mono meaning one, people that believe in one God are Christians, Jews, and Muslims. Okay, so it, it isn't just Christians then. No. Okay. Uh, Muslims and Jews believe in one God. But they don't believe in the same God, do they? Bingo. All right, well, well that would be my question. People say that, that Muslims and Christians believe in the same God. Wait a minute. Christians believe Jesus is God. Muslims believe he is not God. Okay. How is it we believe in the same God? We don't. We both believe in one God, but not the same one God. So is it Muslims, Jews, and Christians don't believe in the same God, no, or they, they do? No, they, they don't. They okay. believe in one God, but not the same one God. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> How do you explain it when you find an atheist who is very loving and then there's a Christian who's not so unloving, yeah, not yeah. so loving. Well, I think C.S. Lewis basically said, you got to look from where a person started. I mean, Jackie, let's say there's a, a guy who was raised in an atheist family, but they had good morals, and he turns out to be a good guy. Let's say here's another a woman that was raised with, with nothing by, by difficult parents, and she grows up kind of a, as a mess. She becomes a Christian later in life. Well... Her upbringing is still with her. I mean, Jackie, I heard a preacher say once, what do I do with this lady down the street who goes to church every week and she's such a crab? And then here's my next door neighbor who's an atheist, never go, and he, he'll give you the shirt off his back. And, and here's what the professor said. Here's what you should say. That neighbor next door, the atheist, you think he's a good guy now. He'd be a saint if he was going to church. And that crabby lady down the street who goes to church every Sunday, you think she's a crab now. You should see what she'd be like without the church. So again, it's kind of like God, we all start off at a different point. We got to remember that. Okay, Tom, we're down to the last few seconds. 30 seconds, okay. Do you yeah. want to say anything sure. before we close? Everybody, uh, we just thank you for watching our program. Hope you're blessed by it. And if you are, you can go to pastorstudy.org and watch all of our shows for free. If the Lord nudges you to support us, it's your support that keeps us on the air. And we ask you to pray for us and because uh, we're on all over the country now. Pray that God would use this program to reach many lost people for Christ. And we'll see you again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, 
Would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.